Well, good morning, Victory Church. If you're excited to be in the house, why don't you act like it? Come on, make some noise. All right? Man, I am uh, ecstatic to be here with you today. Uh, Real quick, everyone joining us online, welcome. Uh, We have some friends and family visiting and joining in from Canada, Colombia, and all the way in Argentina. Come on, can we make our international family feel welcome? We're so excited to have everyone here with us. Hey, uh, my name is Kervin. I serve as the executive uh, director, pastor, whatever you want to call it, over youth and young adults um, here at Victory Church. And uh, it is an honor to be here with you today. And like Pastor Tad just said, it is Baptism Sunday, y'all. Come on. I'm excited. I'm so excited to celebrate with our friends and family as they take their one step today. And uh, just diving right in today, we're we're in, in our second week in our series called Open Doors, where we're talking about neighboring. Uh, If I could define the word neighboring, I would define it as loving the people that God places around us in a way where they feel and experience God's love. Now, I don't know if you guys were here last week in the building at the Norcross campus, but my my old uh, Alabama friend, Pastor Chris Frith from Hamilton Mill, brought an incredible word, brought an incredible word, and he And his message proposed the question, who is my neighbor? We can't talk about neighboring until we first understand who our neighbor is. And he dove into that. And he defined the word neighbor as those who are nearest to us in our daily lives. You know, Pastor Mo over at Midtown made a powerful statement saying that as a disciple of Christ, look at your neighbor, say, that's you. (laughs) Look, as a disciple of Christ, if they're close in proximity, then baby, they're my responsibility, right? That's good. So as we continue unpacking this this series today, as we talk about what it means to be the neighbor that God has called us to be to those around us, now that we've discussed and we've looked at who our neighbor is, I believe the right question we should ask today is then, how do I neighbor? How do I neighbor? So to dive in today, I want us to go back to one of our foundational verses uh, for this series. It's found in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31. And to give you some context, Jesus is doing his thing. He's rolling with his disciples. He's healing people. He's teaching in the synagogues. And this group of religious leaders known as the Sadducees, uh, they rolled up on him and they're asking him all these crazy questions and bringing up all these crazy scenarios about doctrine and about the law. Uh, Their desire is not to grow or learn. Their desire is to just catch him slipping. Well, aren't you thankful, though, we serve a God that you will never catch slipping, right? He's on his job every day. Every day, every day, <laughs> right? So let's look at the text here. The Bible says that, and one of the scribes came up and heard them, again, Jesus and the Sadducees disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them so well, they asked, well, which of the commandments is the most important of all, Right? And Jesus responds and says, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And watch what Jesus says to wrap this whole segment up. He says, there is no other commandment greater than these. (laughs) Imagine that. 
And here we are running around thinking that our Christianity is about attending church at least once a month. Oh. <laughs> here we are thinking that our walk with God is simply about us modifying our behavior or learning how to manage our sins so that way we feel good about ourselves and what we've accomplished. But in this moment, Jesus brings these common misconceptions about Christianity crashing to the kingdom floor. Because if you and I aren't careful, we will become so concerned with and, and busy with building this event-driven Christian celebrity hosting New York Times best-selling works-based religious establishment. Listen, that judges and condemns the outsiders while pampering and pacifying the insiders and while, they're, while we're playing this religious game of hopscotch, all the while, the broken still remain broken and the lost still remain lost. <laughs> Jesus said in this moment, he said, listen, it's not about all the works. It's not about all the stuff. It's not about what you can do or accomplish. Honestly, it's not even about us sitting here debating over all of these ideals and doctrines. At the end of the day, Jesus said the totality of the law can be summed up in five words. Love God and love people. That is the essence of what he has placed us on this earth to do. Love people. In fact, speaking of people, let me just tell y'all, I love my church. You can make some noise. It's okay. <laughs> I love my church. One of the things I love about victory is I love the people. I love the diversity of our church. I mean, I look around, it's like a box of Crayola crayons out here. We, I mean, I mean, just, just Baskin Robbins, just 31 flavors. We got some chocolate, we got some caramel macchiato, got some vanilla bean. Come on, somebody, my, my vanilla bean people is. I love it. But how many of you know, though, with diversity, you are then introduced to different cultures and you're introduced to like different mindsets, you're introduced to different ways of thinking, and we encounter people every week in the lobby or in the hallway or even in the bathroom. We encounter people from different walks of life on different journeys, and sometimes some individuals, even here in this room or online, you may even have some different beliefs. Can I tell you today, looking at the sheer volume of people under the sound of my voice, there may, may even be some of you here today that you may not believe the Bible to be the infallible word of God. And if so, I'm glad you're here. But can I tell you, but for those of you, for the skeptics that may be watching online, uh, whenever I open the Bible and I show you where Jesus commanded us to love people, you may be here or maybe online and be like, I don't care what Jesus said. I don't want to be a good neighbor. I ain't State Farm. <laughs> I will not be there. Right? Like, like, and by the way, who says I need community anyways? I'm good by myself, right? And, and that may be how you feel. And if that's you, I want to take a moment to just divert even from Scripture. And I want to address that notion from a psychological standpoint. You see, some of you may or may not be familiar with a great uh, philosopher and psychologist, first century. Uh, his name was Abraham Maslow. Now, Maslow was known best for his theory on the hierarchy of human needs, all right? Some of you guys have heard this before. Uh, his theory proposes that all humans, regardless of color, 
uh, creed or culture that all humans have five essential needs that they need in order to thrive in life. So in no particular order, uh, we have the physiological need. Uh, That's simple. That's uh, basically the need for air, for water, for food, shelter, right? Uh, For clothing. And then we also have the need for safety. That's personal security, employment, resources, prosperity. You look at the very, very top and you see the need for uh, uh, esteem to be, uh, to have respect, recognition, and status. Uh, and, then, and then the final one, I'm sorry, this one is at the top, self-actualization. It's a desire and a, and a drive to be the best that you can be. But I want to point out to you really quick that right in the middle, right at the core of the five needs that we have as humans is a desire and a need for love and belonging. Look, How are you going to tell me that you don't need community when you have been made in the image of God who's a community within himself? God the Father, God the Son. But you don't need nobody. No, 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 no. Listen, at the core of who we are, there is a desire, there is an innate longing to, to have friendship. To, to experience intimacy, to, to, to have family and a sense of connection. And can I tell you today, my family, that that need is a need that we as the church of Jesus Christ has been placed on this earth to meet. In fact, I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. We as Christians should be the best neighbors on the street and the local church should be the best neighbor in its community. Can I get an amen right there? That is our assignment. But to be that and to do that, how many of you know we got to move? Come on, look at your neighbor, tap them, say, we got to move. We got to move. So the million-dollar question today that we're going to address is this. How do I neighbor? And I'm so glad you asked. I have a couple thoughts. Here it is. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, how do we neighbor? How do I neighbor? Well, we must move from looking to seeing. Let me say it again. We must move from looking to seeing. And I'm going to dive into this. But before I do, now a lot of y'all know me and my wife, my wife and I, uh, we work with uh, young adults and, and young people and teenagers. So we're very visual. I love visual illustrations. So I, we're going to do a little exercise today. Y'all with that? Can we do a little activity? All right. I have this image I'm going to throw up on the screen. Um, it was uh, sketched out, I, I want to say in 1915, like early, early, early um, in the first century. And so what I want everyone in here to do, I want you to look at this image right now. Just look at it. Everyone, just look at it. And then I want you to tell me what you see. Just look at it. What do you see? What do you see, Pastor Todd? What do you see here? You see an old lady? Y'all see the old lady? Some of y'all see the old lady right away. In fact, studies say that most people 30 or older immediately see the old lady. You see her with the long chin? Some of y'all like that look like my auntie. <laughs> right? So, so just wave at me if you see the old lady. If, 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 if that's the first thing you saw, okay, wonderful. Now check this out, and maybe you online. Some of you, when you looked at this image, when you looked at it, you didn't see the old lady. What you actually saw is the young lady. Some of y'all are like, the, what? Yeah, you, you see the young lady, right? Like, you, 
see, she, she's, she's looking in the distance. She has the hat on, the little fancy feather hat. She has on the fur coat. She got a little choker necklace on. Look, some of y'all really struggling. Some of y'all just like, I don't think I see it. I don't see it. Let me help y'all out. Go ahead, throw up the next slide. Throw up the next slide. Here's the difference. You see, in letter B, in exhibit B, you see the old lady. Ah. Ah. In exhibit A, you see the young lady looking in the distance. Now, I want y'all to look at me and hear me. Look, they still tripping over this like, what in the world? He's still tripping. But let me propose this idea. Isn't it absolutely amazing that hundreds of people and thousands by the end of this day will look at the same image and yet many of us will see something completely different. Can I tell you, church, that almighty God, the king of all creation, sits on his throne. And as he gazes out across the earth, he sees hurting people. He sees situations that seem hopeless to the individuals caught in the trap of the situation. He sees injustice. He sees poverty. He sees weddings on the brink of divorce. He sees struggling relationships. And how many of you know it breaks the heart of God to see these things? But it baffles me that yet every single day you and I see the exact same hurting people battling the same hopeless situations we look with our own eyes upon the same injustices and the same people around us being choked out by poverty or searching for purpose in life, trying to overcome an addiction. And while God has a burden for the broken, oftentimes we're just too busy to be bothered. We look upon the same scenarios and situations and circumstances and yet... We don't see the people around us the way God sees it. Think, think about it for a moment. Every morning we get in our car and we deadbolt our door to protect our stuff. If you live in an apartment complex, you drive and you pass by building after building. If you live in a neighborhood, you drive past house after house. But I promise you and I want to remind you that we cannot lose sight of the fact that behind every door is a person and inside every person is a story. It's real out here. And I love this statement, this quote from Randy Frazee. He's a great Christian author. He said, the practice of neighboring, he said, the practice of neighboring creates incredible opportunities for us as believers to connect our story to the stories of our neighbors and ultimately connecting them to God's story. You know, and speaking of stories, what I want to do is jump back. I want us to revisit the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10 as we dig deeper into the idea of moving from looking to seeing. So basically, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Most of us know the story. If not, I'll recap half of it, and then I'll jump into the text in a minute. Basically, there's this Jewish man. He's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And along his journey, he's ambushed by a few bandits, right? They, 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 they knock him off of his, his horse. They, they beat him. They strip him naked, and they leave him half dead on the side of the road. And we find uh, sometime later that a priest 
mind you, a man of God, is walking down the road and he encounters this broken man. And rather than stopping to help this individual, the Bible tells us that he, he, he walks to the other side of the road and passes him by. And we'll pick up the text here. The Bible says in the, in the book of Luke chapter 10, says that a temple assistant sometime later walked over and he looked at him lying there. Somebody say he looked. He looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. You see, what you got to know is that there was major beef between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. The Jewish people did not get along with the Samaritans at all. They were outcasts. In fact, when the Jewish people would have to travel from point A to point B, if Samaria was in the middle, they would literally walk hundreds of miles out of the way to not have to pass through Samaria. So here's this Samaritan man. Oppressed, hated, despised. The Bible literally says he was despised. But he came along and he saw the man. Somebody say he saw. And he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, then I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Come on, somebody. That's compassion in action, right? Now, Jesus then looks at the religious leaders. He looks at the young man that's asking these questions about who, he asks, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells his story and asks him this in verse 36. He says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the man replied, it's the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Isn't it amazing that all three men looked at this poor individual beaten and left to die? They looked, but only one of them actually saw him. And in the words of Jesus and had compassion for him. Listen, you have to understand today, church, that there is a huge difference between looking and actually seeing. And that is why my wife be getting on my nerves. <laughs> that escalated quickly. Yes, it did. Just stick with me. I'm going to explain what I mean. I'm not being rude, I'm just keeping it real. And if you don't believe me, just wait for it. Because every man in this room and online is going to relate to what I'm about to say in about 25 seconds. I don't even have a watch, but I looked at my wrist anyway. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you. Fellas, I am convinced that every woman on planet Earth, I don't care if it's your wife, if it's your mama, if it's your auntie, if it's your girlfriend, or just your friend, I'm convinced that every woman on planet Earth has the superpower to see in an instant what it takes a man to see in 15 minutes. I'm just convinced. I'm just convinced. I'm just convinced. God, fellas, you know what I'm talking about. You be in the kitchen. Babe! Where the marshmallows at? Where the kosher pickles at? Like, like all the random items in the kitchen. The kosher pickles. Fellas, we'd be in the pantry struggling. 
Just looking for stuff. Just, 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 just moving stuff, moving stuff, moving stuff. Is that it? Can't find it? Nope. Moving stuff, moving stuff. Is that it? Nope. Ah! Struggling. And then without fail, every single time, here she come walking, walking into the kitchen, just mumbling under her breath. Jesus, I really need help with this man today. I just, he's on my last nerve, Jesus. I, I need you today. And every time, what does she do? She opens up the pantry, puts her hand inside of it, and poof, out of thin air, she pulls out the bag of marshmallows. Ladies, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it, but it's wonderful. It really is. And fellas, if your wife is just a little spicy like mine, she's going to say something slick too. Talking about, boy, if these marshmallows were a snake. Ain't nobody talking about no snake. Here for the marshmallows. Got your kids disrespecting you? Daddy, you don't ever look for nothing. Get in the room. Listen. In the same way, in the same way that women see things differently than men. Can I tell you, church? Jesus sees people differently than we do. He sees people. He doesn't look at people the way you look at people. When he looks at people, he sees people. Can I tell you, part of the reason I believe we perceive differently than our eternal God, than, than Jesus does, I believe it's because uh, we are bound to this element called time. So whenever we look at an individual... We can really only look at people from two vantage points. When I look at an individual, I can only look at you from the vantage point of your past, where you've been, where you come from, or I can look at you from the vantage point of your present, where or who you are currently in the moment. Ooh, there's a third point. Let me, or not just the past or the present, the third vantage point is our ignorance. Because how many of you all, we so quick to judge somebody, we don't know the first thing about them. But can I tell you today, church, that when God looks at his creation, he's not put off by their past. He's not perplexed by their present. He is in no way fearful of their future. Why? Because in Psalm 139, uh, the Bible declares, the great psalmist, uh, he declares God's great affection towards us. But it also reminds us that we serve a God who sits outside of the context of time. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He sees and knows the beginning from the end. The verse says this in verse 16. It says, God, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts towards me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them, for they outnumber the grains of sand. And Victory Church, as awesome as those truths are, how many of you know those truths are not just for me, and they're not just for you? Come on, look at your neighbor. Say, they ain't for you. They're not just for you. In fact, in fact, if, if, if I could just rearrange a little bit of the wording, I believe it would do us good from time to time to read that passage, uh, not, not subjectively, but objectively. In other words, it may do us good from time to time to say, God, you saw my neighbor 
before they were ever born. Every day of their life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. My God, how precious are your thoughts about them, oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them, for they outnumber the grains of sand. Can I tell you something, church? When God sees people, he doesn't see limitation and liability. All he sees is potential and purpose. See, I'll never forget the day when God called my name. I'll never forget the day where I was. I was lost. I was dead in my sin. I was a liar. I was a manipulator. You see, I believe the reason most of us as believers struggle with reaching out to our neighbors because we so easily forget where we were whenever Jesus reached out to us. But I remember where I was. I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. I was a junkie. I was laying on a bed locked up for about a five-month stint when I was 17 years old, facing 10 years in prison. I was a criminal. I was broken. I was depressed. I was anxious and suicidal. And looking back today, as far as God has brought me and the future that he still has for me and my family, I thank God. I thank God. Jesus. Listen to me, church. I thank God that he did not define me by the current state in which he found me. I thank God that when he sees us, when he sees you, when he sees your neighbor, he sees them in their greatest potential. He sees them at the greatest version of themselves. I wish someone would thank God in this place right now. He sees you at your greatest potential. But Curvin, I thought we we're talking about neighboring. I thought we we're talking about others. We are. Here's what you have to understand. If God feels this way about you, see, we're selfish people. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we have to just receive, oh, God, you really do love me. You really do have a plan. Yes, he does. Okay, now that you get that, understand the reality that God also feels the same way about your neighbor, the promises, the truth. It applies to your neighbor as well. So what does that mean for you and I? Here's what it means, church. It means in order to neighbor people God's way, we have to then see people through God's eyes. And you cannot define someone by the current state in which you find someone. I'll never forget as a young man, my wife and I, we grew up together. We, we've known each other since like five years old, six years old. Like way, we go way, 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 way back. We were always best friends. And I remember, man, she, she always loved the Lord, um, was on fire for God, passionate about her walk with the Lord. And me, at 13, 12 years old, I just went, I went way left. And, uh, and I was just, I, I was, I mentioned it, I was, I was broken, I was lost. And, uh, and I remember being in jail that summer, right before my, um, 
and it was my senior year of high school, right before my senior year, and I was locked up the whole summer, and I was broken. I was, I was a mess. And, and I remember hearing all the words, all the judgment from all the people. And how many of you know, whenever you're broken, you don't need someone to tell you you're broken. <laughs> like, I'm talking to the people who've been through some things. And I was, I was broken. I'll never forget. Candace would write me letters. Candace would come and visit me. I'll, I'll never forget one Saturday morning, the first time she came to visit, and I sat down on the other side of that glass, and she sat there, and she just looked at me, a little smirk. And I was ready for all the smoke. I was ready for all the words, all the judgment. And she looked at me, and she said, you're a man of God. And I said... I said, I am nothing close to a man of God. I'm an addict. I'm broken. She smiled. She says, no. No, you were created to change the world. God's not done with you. There's greatness on. Can I tell you what she was doing? She was speaking life into this barren wasteland of a soul. Come on, the Bible says you got to call things you got to call things and speak things that are not as though they are. She called forth the king. Can I, can, I, can I say today, there are people all around you at work, at school, the barista, the clerk at the bank, family members, friends, neighbors. There are people that God has placed you in, their, in that circle of influence to call the king forth, to call the queen forth. Listen to me. If we're going to neighbor the way God has called us to neighbor, we have to see. We can't just look at people. We've got to see the king on the inside. We've got to see them through God's eyes. Amen. We must move from looking to seeing. Here's my second thought. I'm going to move quick because we got some people to dunk. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we must move from looking to seeing. And secondly, we must move from hearing to actually listening. Woo, this is a hard one. This is a tough one. Um, and let me just say this again, fellas. I'm just talking to my fellas. I'm helping y'all out today, fellas. Let me just help you real quick. It don't matter if you're married, uh, if you're single, if you're dating, uh, if you're single, ready to Christian mingle, keyword Christian. <laughs> if your significant other just so happens to be talking to you, and if you just so happen to be distracted by something else, and if she happens to notice that you're distracted and asks, babe, are you listening to me? Fellas, don't you ever, don't you ever respond by saying, babe, I hear you. Eh, nope, strike eight, you're out of there. No, that is the worst thing that you could ever say because any lady will tell you that there is a difference between hearing me and listening to me. Come on, ladies, holla if you hear me. I'm trying to help you. Help me help you. <laughs> Look, here, I would define hearing this way. Hearing is becoming aware by audible sound. It requires no effort, right? It's accidental, involuntary, it's effortless. There was some alarm going off a second ago. I heard, I, I heard it. I don't know what was going on. I hope they're okay. What that? I heard it, but listening means you give attention to the sound. You hear with thoughtful consideration. It's focused, it's voluntary, and it's intentional. James 1.19 says, Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. 
everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But you see, we got a problem, though. <laughs> Pastor Tad, we live in a society where we have a lot to say, but don't nobody want to listen. We got all the words to say, to speak, but nobody is really listening. And I believe we saw this truth exemplified and at its zenith during the year of 2020. If you can recall, some of y'all just, ooh, 2020, it just kind of stings a little bit. I feel you. 2020, it was, it, was, it was a year like none other. COVID brought the world to its knees. We were all on lockdown. Uh, the presidential race was entertaining. <laughs> Families and businesses, man, were tapped out. Marriages were on the rocks. And when we thought things could get no worse, we were reintroduced to the deep roots of systemic racism and injustice that is still alive today. And I remember that season. I remember it clearly. Everybody had their truth. Everyone had something to say. Everyone had their opinion. Everyone had their experience, their perspective. And I'm going to be honest, man, it was a really dark season. It was a hard season, especially uh, for people of color and especially people of color who either served in ministry or who served in any type of place of influence. It was a hard season because I remember every week I would get invites and emails and phone calls and text messages to come and speak to this group or to come zoom in on uh, this conversation and to, to go live on Instagram and to share my insight and my thoughts. Like in that season, I was expected to be like this, this, this biblical theologian who was also well-versed in American, you know, black American history all the, while, all the same time while processing just how this whole thing is affecting me as a black man in America. And I remember that season was so hard and I can't tell you how many meetings I would pull up to and I would discover quickly that people didn't really want to talk. People wanted to pull out their notes and their statistics and their numbers and, and, and the little bit of knowledge they got from just crash coursing, reading a couple of books. And, and I remember walking away from some of these meetings and I would get in my car and I would just weep. I would break down, I would weep. But I'll never forget the one day I got a phone call by a buddy of mine named Rhett. He's a white guy. He was on staff with me at my previous assignment. He asked me to lunch and I almost told him no because I was tired. And I went to lunch, and I sat down with him. And he sat across from me, and with tears in his eyes, he took his hands like this. And he placed them on the table, and he said, Kervin, I'm only here to listen, because I really want to understand. And in that moment, a wave of emotion and healing crashed over me. And I wept, and I wept, and I wept. Can I tell you something? I love the quote from the Christian author, David Oz, Augsburger. He said, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Can I tell you something? That feeling that I felt at that lunch meeting being heard, feeling like I was heard, it had nothing to do with the words he spoke, but had everything to do with his heart to simply listen. Can I tell you, there's a world out there, there are people that they don't need our three points in a sermon. 
They don't need the three-piece the, 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 the three suit and the three-point PowerPoint message. They just need to know that we're willing to listen, to hear them, to meet them where they are. And you know what? And let's let the Holy Spirit do the rest. If we're just faithful to do what God has called us to do, because at the end of the day, Teddy Roosevelt said it best. He said, people could care less how much you know until they first know how much you care. Listen to me, church, as I wrap up, we got to move from looking at the problem to actually seeing the people. We got to move from hearing with our ears to listening with our hearts. And the glue that binds it all together, my final point is this. We must be motivated by love. It's got to be motivated by love. In the first century, the Roman Empire experienced this deadly plague. Uh, it was called the uh, Antonine Plague. Some of you historians may have heard of it. I had never heard of it, but it was shortly after the reign of Nero. Now, if you recall, Nero was a wicked, wicked, manic leader over the Roman Empire. To give you a snapshot, he, he was the one that really instituted the persecution of Christians, the whole Colosseum, gladiators. He was at the forefront of that whole movement. Nero would have parties, dinner parties at his palace, and as you would walk down the driveway, the way would be lit by stakes with Christians hung up there burning to death. So Christians were under great persecution during this season, and then all of a sudden, the first century, this Antonine Plague swept through the empire of Rome. It killed nearly 70 million people of the Roman Empire. It, historians believe that it was the moment that kind of crushed that empire. One third of the empire died. Physicians, the wealthy, the philosophers, all the people of notoriety, they fled for their lives. But you want to know what happened? The Christians the fully devoted disciples of Jesus stayed and they nursed the Romans back to life. There were bodies all over the streets and the Christians would pull the Romans into their home. They would nurse them and care for them and heal them and pray for them and feed them. And you, you know what's really crazy? Is that even in doing that, many Christians also lost their lives. But not only biblical scholars will say this, but many secular historians will also tell you that it was this act of sacrificial love carried out by the Christians, the Christians who had been persecuted, tortured, and martyred, murdered by the Romans, that it was their devotion to showing unbiased love to their neighbors that brought revival to this pagan nation. And can I tell you, it wasn't because of a big building. It wasn't because of some religious construct it's because the church of Jesus Christ rose to the occasion and they fought for love while everybody else ran for their lives. Come on, it is time for the church to rise up and be the hands and feet of Jesus in a dark and dying world. I don't have time to dive all the way into it, but the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he said, you can do all the stuff you can prophesy, you can heal, you can give, you can even submit your body to the flames, but if it's not done out of love, we gain nothing of value. You want to know why love is so powerful? Because love demands a response. Anyone can feel compassion about need, 
Can I tell you something? Love is the agent that pushes compassion into action. You may be saying today, well, love my neighbor. I don't even know that fool. <laughs> I don't know his name. All I know is he need to cut that grass. <laughs> That's about it. That's all I know. Hey, can I tell you? It's all good. It's okay. I love this quote. I'm wrapping up. C.S. Lewis. He said, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Just stink and act like you do. For as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets that when you are behaving as if you loved someone, then you will presently come to love him. That's good. You don't know their name. It's okay. I have two practical steps and we're done. Number one, here are two practical steps you could implement today. Number one, you can just pray for your neighbor. Just pray for him. Because I know that as you pray for that individual, God will begin softening your heart towards them. The second thing I would say is simply this. Start with one. Start with one. I heard a story once of this old man sitting on a, on a shore of a beach. And he looks out in the distance and he sees this little boy walking towards him. And he notices the little boy every, every few steps he would kneel down, throw something in the ocean, walk, kneel down. So he was just so curious and he just kept watching. And the little boy came closer and closer. And he noticed that the young boy was picking up starfish and throwing them into the ocean. So finally, the old man's curiosity got the best of him. And he, once the young man got within earshot, he said, hey, may I ask what it is that you're doing, young man? The little boy paused. He looked up. He replied. He said, sir, I'm throwing these, these, these starfish back into the water because the tide washed them up early and, and so many of them. And soon the sun's going to come out. And if they're not in the water, they're going to die. The young man said, well, son, there's about, there's tens of thousands of starfish out here. And the little boy looked at him and thought about it, shrugged and picked up another one and threw it and kept on going. So a few minutes went by and this old man got a little agitated. And he said, son, I hate to tell you, but I don't think you're making that much of a difference. The little boy stopped, picked up one more starfish threw it in the water. He looked back at the old man and said, well, it made a difference to that one. Listen, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. Let him do it. Listen, it is God the Father's job to judge. Let him do it. It's our job to love. And simply put, and simply put, here's how we love. We hear of a need and we feel it. And if we see a hurt, we heal it. It's that simple. And we do it one neighbor at a time. Amen. Amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you may be here today and uh, you may say, Curvin, I'm far from God. You're talking about reaching my neighbor. I'm just out here. 
I need a neighbor. I, I, I need, I need help. I need someone. Listen, if that's you, can I tell you that the Lord loves you with his whole heart, from the top of his heart. He adores you. He's not mad at you. The Bible says that even the sin that separates you from God, that we all are born with, that sin, even in spite of that, he loved you enough to give his son Jesus to die on your behalf. He paid the death penalty that you and I deserve to pay so that those of us who were once enemies of God and slaves to our sin in an instant, just like that, we can be transformed into sons and daughters. And my friend, you have an opportunity right now to say yes, to respond to salvation, to, to, to say yes to a second chance. Who doesn't want a, a second chance? So here it is. Here's the moment right now. I'm going to count to three, and if that's you, I want you just to lift your hand right where you're at. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to embarrass you or none of that. But I just want to see if there's anyone here. I believe there's, there's some in this room today. God is calling you. You know who you are. I don't, have to, I don't have to say another 20 words. You know who you are. You feel the Spirit of God impressing upon your, 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 your heart right now. He loves you. Here it is. You ready? One. You would say, Curvin, I realize that my life has to change. I can't do it the way I've done it. I'm tired. Here it is, too. It doesn't matter who you came with, who brought you. It doesn't matter what someone is going to think about you today. All that matters is that God is here, and he wants your whole heart. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You can have a new start today. Here it is. You ready? One, two, three. If that's you, just lift your hand right where you're at. I want to pray for you. Lift it up high enough and long enough for me to see it. I see that hand. I see that hand in the risers. I see that hand here up front. Anyone else? I see a whole family over there. God bless you. Anyone else? Okay, you can put your hands down now. And I want every one of us to repeat this prayer after me, online even, if you're there. Repeat this prayer. Say, God, it's me. You know who I am. I've broken your heart. I've broken your law. And I'm not a perfect person. But I believe that you love me. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin, rose from the dead, and one day you'll bring me home. So forgive my sin, heal my heart, and change my mind. I don't want to live the way I used to live. God, I want to live for you. So help me to do that. And according to your word, and by faith, I believe that I am saved. Thank you, God, for loving me when I was unlovable. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, if you love him, give him a shout in this place. Hallelujah.